Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit plans enhance people's lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, as always, and my business partner, mind you, Al McDonald. Al, how's it going? I'm doing very well, Robin. And again, another day uh, talking to some great people and hearing some interesting stories. So uh, excited once again. I have always said the best thing about this series is the stories we get to hear. And I've yet to be disappointed. I always walk away learning something. So uh, very excited about today's guest, especially. So joining us today is Jason Brass, President and CEO at Terracotta Foods in Georgetown, Ontario. Jason's company was recently featured in the Globe and Mail's Top 400 Canada's Fastest Growing Companies in 2020. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me, Robin and Al. Appreciate it. Well, Jason, we used to do these face-to-face in our recording studio, which actually doubled as my office. But of course, with what we're living through today, we're doing it via technology. But I'm not sure about you, Al, but I really wish we were doing this one in person at Terracotta Foods because one of the things Jason's company is famous for, among many things, is their cookies. So, Jason, any favorites that we should be looking at? Oh, well, there are a ton of favorites. Some of them, of course, because we do so many private label products that... I can't really disclose who they're made for, but I definitely, uh, I definitely have my favorites. Yeah, we're actually running my favorite cookie today, so I've uh, unfortunately indulged. Uh, sorry, overindulged this morning on those, and uh, I, can I can feel the sugar rush. Uh, I can attest to actually uh, because in the past terracotta cookies was um, you know a fundraisers and that for for various organizations and and I actually live right in Georgetown as well so we are very familiar with the product and I've I've myself indulged in many of your of your cookies in the past so I can definitely attest to, <laughs> to how good they are. Well, thanks for that, Al. Uh, <laughs> we yeah we we definitely pride ourselves on uh, the reputation of the product and. So many people have had those cookies in Southern Ontario and so many grew up. If you're 47 or younger, there's a good chance you grew up on those cookies in public school or in Catholic school. So we're really proud. We're really proud of that legacy. We will definitely have to find a reason to do another podcast or a recap or really find any reason maybe in 2021 so we can get out there and and have some samples of those. So great to have you here. I think you've got a really interesting background and kind of how you how you got to where you are. But let's start, Jason, with the Globe and Mail Top 400 list. So that's something that I'm always interested in. I've had a number of clients show up on that list, but that list is is really largely dominated by firms in technology. How does a food-based company make it to such a prestigious uh, publication? Yeah, well, that, definitely it's a list that we're proud to be on. How do we get there is a great question. You know, it's it's a team effort and everyone here is aligned with the goal of having a product in every major supermarket in Canada and then rolling south to the US as well. We're all aligned with the goal and and to get there, we've been creating some uh, niche products to get uh, into the doors of various retailers, prove that we can execute them, 
And then inevitably, those opportunities lead to new opportunities within the same retailers. And for products that we produce uh, well or efficiently, when the opportunity comes around, we get focused on how to make a favorable bid and make the product the way it should be and, uh, and try and win the business. So I think it's identifying some opportunities. Uh, whether they're niche or mainstream, and really capitalizing on them as quickly as possible. Capitalizing on trends in the marketplace, ingredient trends, et cetera, and being very nimble and getting those to commercialize product as quickly as possible. You brought up something very interesting and very selfishly, I'm interested in this as well, because it's something that we're going through and doing a deeper dive into. You talk about alignment and getting your team members aligned. How do you go about doing that? Maybe you can just share, are there any ideas that you can share with our audience about, you know, who are building a business, whatever stage they're in, maybe they're, you know, a very small company today, but looking to grow. How do you create that alignment to make sure you are all on the same page and, and going in the, in the same direction? Yeah, thanks, Robin. I think at least what's worked for me would be to make sure I'm leading by example. For one thing, being an entrepreneurial business and one that is nimble and one that is aggressive. There's no one set job for me or anyone here. So we all wear different hats. So my example to my staff, my management team, my executive group, my production team is that we're all able to do and we will do any job in this facility. So for one thing, there's no job here that I haven't done all the way from measuring to mixing to working on the shop floor for days at a time, evenings, weekends, you name it. So you got to get that buy-in from everyone. And I believe truly that when everyone sees that you're willing to put in the same effort that you're asking of them, that you get a lot more credibility and and a lot more buy-in on the ultimate goal. And then in terms of furthering that alignment with everyone, we have weekly meetings on Mondays with the management team, and there's no agenda on the meeting. So I think that's very important. I love an agenda-less meeting. So it's a management meeting. It's two hours long. It's 11 o'clock every Monday and come armed with what you want to talk about. Come armed with what's bugging you or, hey, what worked really well last week? What products are we working on this week? What plant trials are we working on? Throw it out there. It's uh, the kitchen sink meeting and uh, everyone gets their turn to uh, talk about what they want to talk about. And they have the undivided attention of the entire management team at that meeting. And it's very productive. We learn a lot from each other in that meeting and we start the week off on the right foot, in my opinion, all aligned on what we are focused on for the week, for the month, for the year and further out. And that gets refined every Monday morning. And from there, that information inevitably gets transferred to different levels of the plant, uh, production staff, supervisors, you name it. When there's something that they need to know, they know about it. I love that the agenda less meeting, but obviously, you know, you've done the work behind the scenes to set that expectation so that people are, you know, they're not just showing up and staring with blank faces. They're coming with questions and challenges right. and, uh, and opportunities. I think that's really interesting. And they do all contribute, whether it's something one Monday, there's only a few points they want to get out or learn something about. And then sometimes they have the floor for half the meeting. So it has fostered the environment that no question is stupid, no comment is stupid, get it out there. So by doing that, everyone really speaks their mind. And I encourage that. Jason, we had talked prior to this about your background, and it was an interesting story. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you started out and how you ended up at Terracotta? Sure, I'd love to. 
So long ago, I started my career at Menu Foods, which was a canned wet pet food manufacturer in Streetsville, Ontario. And I did every job there. I started there as a summer student, finished my schooling while I still worked there, worked there in the summers, like I said, did every job at Menu Foods from the ground up. I did uh, anything a student would do, reworking product, help on the line, work in the meat room, you name it. So worked there for several years, worked my way up, learned everything I could, soaked it all in. And I uh, finished my career there as one of their VPs, which I really was very proud of. When I was one of their VPs, I was living in Caledon at the time and would often do some shopping in Orangeville, which was kind of halfway. So you could go south shopping or north. And so we would switch it up. So there's one afternoon i was in orangeville uh, doing some shopping got a coffee and took a drive around the town to see what was new and it dawned on me that there wasn't a boston pizza restaurant in orangeville and i thought wow that's silly because seems like a perfect town for a boston pizza so i went home and uh over a glass of wine with my wife i said jane isn't it strange that there's no boston pizza in orangeville and she said yeah that is strange you know there should be it's a perfect town for it and i she said why don't you call them and ask them why there isn't one and i said okay i will so the next morning at work, I called them up and I said, why isn't there a Boston pizza in Orangeville? And so long story short, someone had the rights to it. I somehow got those rights for that restaurant and within 10 months had actually built it from the ground up and started operating and training. I was still working at Menu at the time and every day I would drive south to my job at Menu, which you know I, I did love and I learned a lot from, but it became work after a, a while. And while I was going south, my heart was going north to the restaurant because I started to feel those entrepreneurial bubbles bubbling. And although it is a franchise, there's a lot you have to do on your own. So I started to learn a lot and I wanted to learn more. So again, I had that conversation with my wife. I think it was over a glass of wine because that's the smart thing to do. And uh, talked about how my feelings were going north. And I wanted to immerse myself into this restaurant and learn as much as I could. So at the end of the day, we agreed that I would leave my job at Menu, which was a nice steady paycheck with very nice benefits and all the benefits in the parks you want, and immerse myself in the restaurant with no guarantees of income or security, and really enjoyed it, really loved it. And I loved it so much that I built and opened a second restaurant at Square One Mall from the ground up as well. So greenfielded both those locations, absolutely loved it. Both were in the top 10 stores of a 400 store chain, and we were very proud of that. We won marketing store of the year as well. I was on the President's Club of Boston Pizza and really uh, immersed myself in it, like I said, and enjoyed it. And about four years into owning the second restaurant, I started to get the itch to get back into food manufacturing or just manufacturing of any kind. But I had a passion for food, so that's kind of the area I was focusing it on. So I looked at a few opportunities, scoured businesses for sale, et cetera, kicked the tires on a few different ones. By this time, we're living in Toronto, commuting to the two restaurants, kicked the tires on a few, and then this opportunity for Terracotta, which was then Terracotta Cookie Company, came for sale. And I knew the name. I grew up in Norville, which is a stone's throw away from Georgetown. So I was familiar, obviously, with the Georgetown area, and most of my family still lives in this area. Something felt right about it. So I went out to see the owner of it. We had a nice chat. There was four competing bids for the business. And at the end of the day, I secured the business from the founder herself. And that was in 2012. Again, I intended on running my restaurants and running Terracotta Cookie Company, but quickly realized the potential that Terracotta had and the demand that it was having on my time and my bandwidth, really. 
So made the decision to focus all of my entrepreneurial spirit on terracotta cookies, which is now terracotta foods limited and sold both the restaurants. It did pain me because I did enjoy them and I enjoyed everyone I work with at those restaurants, but it was the right decision. It was time to grow further. That was 2012 and I haven't looked back. Since 2012, our average growth rate at Terracotta Foods is just about 26% a year every year. And for the last uh, two years, I've been on the growth 400 list, which uh, again, I'm very proud of. So to date, that's my journey, at least my business journey. And that's where we are today. I saw, and I forget who it was, I saw a quote about how long an overnight success takes to develop. And that, you know, basically that's just what you described, even though you're Terracotta Foods now and you've been very successful, you didn't just show up and make it successful. That's been a long journey and a a lot of iterations to get there. Yes. As I was listening, and and obviously you've become very entrepreneurial, I don't want to age us, but later in life, let's just say, but one of the things that you had said in earlier on was you felt these feelings bubbling up of entrepreneurship. So do you think, Jason, somewhere deep down, you always dreamed of becoming an entrepreneur? Do you think this is something you always knew or was it developed a little bit later in life? No, definitely from day one of my existence on earth, I believe I was meant to be an entrepreneur and always admired them and watched them and business owners who had great success or even moderate success. I was always in awe of these people because I could only imagine what was involved to get there and when they finally did what, how, how good that must feel. So no, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. Those feelings have been bubbling, but when I described the bubbling feeling, it was more like an Alka-Seltzer. It was uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was coming up, so I, I had to deal with it, and off I went. So obviously right now we're in the middle of COVID. That's no news flash to anyone. How has that affected your business? What, what would you say is the biggest challenge? What have you had to do to adapt? Yeah, there's so many new challenges with this uh, COVID-19 with our business. It really has turned our revenue model upside down, inside out, three ways to Sunday. And some of our business is still with schools and or fundraising. It's a much smaller piece of the pie these days. So when overnight the cash portion of your business gets ripped away, that sort of went down to almost flat and our retail private label sales went skyrocketing up. So it has changed our cash flow, if you will. So we're obviously looking at receivables and trying to manage that as effectively as we can in a different way these days. So in a nutshell, our revenue stream has changed. We're very busy, but our revenue stream has changed. So we're all adapting to that and adapting to producing more retail products and getting those out the door as opposed to maybe a greater mix of of what we were used to before. So it has given us the opportunity, though, to look inwards and focus further in on how do we get more efficient? How do we get our yields up? Where can we trim some fat? In a way, that part of it has been a very good exercise. There's been some painful parts of this uh, pandemic for us as well, but we're trying to mitigate the pain by reflecting inwards and, and seeing what we can do to smooth it out, if you will. Makes a lot of sense. You talked a little bit earlier, and I think you provided some really great insights around alignment. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was corporate culture. And I think, you know, building corporate culture has become a little bit more challenging with COVID-19, as as Al was talking about. But, you know, part of running a company, obviously, is hiring, managing staff. And I've often talked about whether on the Success Leaves Clue series or the Starting With One series podcast, I haven't talked about all the different cultures I've experienced as an employee benefits consultant. That I walk into companies where sometimes the benefits plan is, in my mind, okay, 
but the culture is really good. And sometimes you walk into the opposite situation where the culture isn't very good. How do you go about building positive corporate culture at your company? And has that changed since COVID-19? Well, no, I don't think so. Um, and maybe in a way, actually, uh, it, it would. So the positive culture here would be, again, I think going back towards leading by example, putting in the time, putting in the effort. You know, I think when that starts at the top, that goes a long way. And I think when people see you're willing to put in the effort to push the rock forward, that they will be as well. And we try and hire people, Robin, that are entrepreneurial minded themselves and that can take maybe a little more pressure or can wear multiple hats without bothering them too much. So we kind of vet that from the beginning and make sure they're not looking for a corporate job that more often here. And I think for as long as I'm running the company, and no matter how big it gets, it will be an entrepreneurial feel to it. You're going to have to wear multiple hats. And so I think vetting that from the beginning helps us because we're hiring the right personality for what's expected of them. So I think that's a very important first step. And then just communicating all the time. I can never say it enough. You know, uh, Sometimes I forget to communicate as much as I want to, but you can never over-communicate with your team. And I think by doing that, it flushes some things out. If you communicate, even if it's a huddle, not just at the agenda list meeting, but during the week, if it's a quick huddle, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It spawns conversation. And I think that helps. We have a very open door policy here where you can talk to anyone. We can have a five minute huddle anytime you want. So I think that really helps with the culture. So it's a it's an entrepreneurial culture. We hire people to be entrepreneurial. And anyway, I think that really helps. Yeah, I think you're right. And and one of the things that resonates with me, what you said is it really does start with the top and it starts with the leadership. And Al, Joe and I, my other business partner, anytime something isn't going wrong, the first thing we do is sit down as partners and point at ourselves and look at and say, okay, did we communicate? Did we do the job? Did we demonstrate what we wanted done? Did we set expectations properly? And to your point, I agree with you. I don't think there's ever too much communication. And, you know, you mentioned the huddle. We've we've implemented those recently, the daily huddle, the weekly council, because again, no one wants to sit in more meetings, but yeah. I think having the team aligned, exactly what you said in the earlier in this podcast, making sure everyone is on the same page, heading in the same direction. I think that will do wonders in terms of where you want to go with the company. Agreed. So Jason, we got one last question here and, and I want to thank you because you set this one up perfectly before we started recording. When you first came on, you said, it's been one of those weeks. So yeah. <laughs> my last question is, is just around the tough road that entrepreneurship can be in difficult moments. So you know, maybe this week's a good example. How do you stay focused on moving forward and making progress? You know, I think for me, uh, Al, recently, in order to stay focused, I've been trying really hard on a work-life balance. And for an entrepreneur, this is a very, very difficult thing to do. 15-hour days are not uncommon, but I'm trying to make them less common. And I'm finding that getting home at a decent time and trying to get some exercise in or unwind with my wife and family and maybe chat about some stuff that's not work-related. Lately, people will, if the conversation at home starts going towards work, I kind of lately have been bringing it back to, hey, let's talk about anything but work. And it's giving my brain a little bit of a break to digest the week, the ups and downs, what went wrong, what went right in a subconscious way rather than talking about it too much. It's almost reminiscent or, or similar to sleeping on it, if you will, but checking out 
as often as I can. I know it's impossible when you're an entrepreneur and you can't always check out them. You know, sometimes you're going to have to open your, your laptop at 10 p.m. or later. But as often as I can, I'm trying to get a balance. And that is it's helping me, Al, to smooth out the week, if you will. And by the time Monday rolls around again, kind of digest what happened, what needs to be fixed, what went really right. And by the time we're at the uh, agendaless meeting, I spew out what I want to get out that I think will make us a better company and better as a team. So that's kind of how I keep the needle forward or straight, if you will. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And we've heard that before from a couple of other people that we've actually had on the podcast is that how important it is to you know, take a break and get away from the company at certain times and set aside some time, like you said, for exercise, for family, to just get your mind off of the company. Otherwise, it can uh, it can be overwhelming. Sure. Yeah, that's really helped, actually. Well, solid advice. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks for sharing your journey. I got a lot out of this one. I call it gold. There's a lot of gold in this one. So I look forward to listening back to this one and uh, and picking those out because I think there's a lot of great information. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself, your journey, or Terracotta Foods? I can certainly call my office, 905-877-4216, or email me anytime, jbrass at terracottafoods.com. All right. Thanks again, Jason. Okay, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends, and it all starts with one.